this podcast is presented to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church in Lubbock, Texas. For more information, visit faithchurchlubbock.com. If you need a Bible, why don't you get your hand raised real, real high. Go with me to Hebrews 13. Now, this is our, our last week on detours. And so I want to review just real quickly. The first week we talked about never, never give up, and that was through the woman Ruth. Second, we went to the, the woman who was caught in adultery. And a lot of time, because of sin in our life, we think, man, God will never be able to use me, but he can. The third area, you remember, was from the, the man, the patriarch Abraham. And Abraham figured out, I can't do things on my timetable. That God has an appointed time for everything. And two weeks ago, we were on forgiveness. And I must learn to walk in forgiveness. If not, it keeps me detoured. Last week we were on uh, honor. And so this week we are going to close with loyalty. And it's a big deal. It's a big deal to me. I think the older I get, the more I really value loyalty. But you're going to find in the scriptures today, it's a big deal to God. Now go to Hebrews 13, and if you're not there yet, let me just say this. You'll see at the end of the service, next week we're starting a new series called The End. And so if heaven is for real, what about hell? So you don't want to miss the next few Sundays also. But today we're on loyalty. Hebrews 13, verse 5. says, Let your conduct or your character be without covetousness or the love of money. Be content or satisfied with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, the Amplified says it this way exactly. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you. The New Living says, I will not fail you nor abandon you. The Message says, I won't let you down nor never walk off and leave you. So right here when we see this, for he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, it shows God's loyalty toward me and you. That God is an all-in God. And when God says, I won't leave you nor forsake you, I'm going to tell you, He means it. He means it. And so there's something genuine and authentic about Father God. And I'm just going to give you a new biblical name for God today. He's Jehovah Loyal. And I'm going to tell you, He is a loyal, loyal God. And we jump to verse 6. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. And so when I read that, this is God's assurance to me and you that he's constant, that he won't lie and he won't change. And when I read that verse or those two verses, it literally jumps out, God's a loyal God. And he wants us to be loyal. Now to show you a little bit more, we're going to have to get a few verses in us. Go back into the Old Testament to 2 Chronicles Chapter 16. 2 Chronicles, you'll get to the Samuels and then the Kings, and then you'll go to 2 Chronicles 16. Now, as you're turning there, let me give you a definition for loyalty or loyal. It's a genuine, authentic commitment. A genuine, authentic commitment. And I believe this today, that God wants this to get into our hearts. Every one of our hearts has said, Lord, I want to live with loyalty. Second uh, Chronicles 16, verse 7. 
And at that time, Hananiah the seer came to Aiz, the king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied or depended on the king of Syria, and have not relied or depended on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Now in that passage right there, he gives us two choices. That's it. I'm either going to rely on God or I'm going to rely on man. There are no other ways. And this is why he set the table in verse number 8. Were the Ethiopians and the Lubim not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet, because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Now, did you catch that right there? He said that his eyes, Father God, and I want you to think about this. God, at this very moment right now, his eyes are scanning this earth and they're going to and fro. And God, right here on earth, is looking for a certain type of heart. And that heart that God looks for is a heart that's loyal to him. It didn't say good looks. It didn't say talents. It didn't say IQs. It said a certain type of heart. And God wants to show himself strong right here on earth for the ones that have a loyal heart. Now keep reading the rest of verse 9. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore from now on you shall have wars. And so he's saying if you had just given me your whole heart. So when we begin to look at what God says here, it becomes more and more difficult in our society. Loyalty has, has diminished and diminished. Now, I want you to think just for a minute. This may identify your life. I would willing to bet to say your parents or your grandparents for sure. Most people way back when they started working, they would work at the same job their entire life. Almost always. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to have another job. I worked with a guy that had worked for the company I did for 42 years. It's the only job he ever had. But the average time a person is employed at a job right now in our country is two years. Two years. And I believe for the most part the reason people leave those jobs to go to another job is almost always because of money. Or the pasture's greener. Or I'm running from issues or problems. We see it in professional sports. Now, when you think back into the 60s and 70s, you remember Roger Staubach? He was once a cowboy, always a cowboy. Well, now in, in pro sports, they're hardly ever with the same team their full career. And if we're not careful, the lack of loyalty begins to show up in our lives. In many situations, in many occasions... Also, even in church. I see people that go from church to church to church to church. And there's something that happens when we just begin to serve God with a loyal heart. And I believe it's important that we begin to see these things, that God wants us to do some, some loyalty in our lives. He wants to live with loyalty. Now go with me to Proverbs 17. I've got to show you another verse in here. Proverbs 17. Now as you're turning there, let me, let me use loyalty even in a, in a marriage covenant. 
that if one member of the marriage covenant becomes unloyal or unfaithful, or let's just use the word cheat, the marriage suffers. It hurts the marriage, it weakens the marriage, and ultimately it can destroy the marriage. And see, this is the same way that Father God, I believe, looks at it because God isn't into dating. God's into being married. And when God gives us a covenant vow, understand this with Father God, He's not going to change. When God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, He means it. Proverbs 17, verse 17. A friend or a companion loves at all times. He's constant. Now listen what the New Living says for that. It says, a friend is always loyal. A friend is always loyal. The second part of verse 17, and a brother is born for adversity. A brother is born in times of affliction. A brother is born to help in time of need or trouble. And so I think we're safe to say here, a friend is always loyal, but loyalty is proven in adversity. So what that means is you find out who's really with you when times are tough. And even in the video with Forrest Gump, those are what we could call foxhole experiences. And we all go through life with foxholes experiences. And here's the question that rises out of those. Who will die for you? Better yet, who will you die for? And it all comes down to a thing called loyalty. Now, we got a bunch of these little army men. I don't know if you can see them very far back there. We got them all in these little containers all across here. And at the end of the service today, you're welcome to take you a bunch. If you want to go home and play Army, that's fine. But the real meaning for these is I don't care if you make a necklace. I don't care if you tape them on the dash of your car, put them on your desk. I believe on a daily basis that every time we see this, you know what it says? I want to live loyal today, Father God. If your heart is scanning this earth for people that are loyal, then I want to live loyal. I want to understand what loyalty is. And it's, fi- it's found throughout the Bible. So go with me back to your left to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. And we're going we're gonna to really dissect one of the men in the Bible that he caught this in his heart. And so when we read this, the secret to a happy life is to give yourself away. That means I just can't live totally for myself. It's always about me. No, it's not. But here's a nugget for you today. The thing that guides loyalty is truth. You know, your best friend won't tell you what you want to hear. He'll tell you what you need to hear. And that's truth. Here's you one more verse that I want you to reference today. Proverbs 3 3 in the New Living says this Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Now, when I talk about loyalty and kindness, loyalty and kindness are character traits. You know what that means? You're not born with loyalty and kindness. 
It's something that's got to be birthed in our heart. It's got to be developed, but also it's got to be molded, modeled. And here's the deal. I think a lot of times we don't, we don't want to model loyalty. We don't want to do those things because we're so caught up with me. It's all about me. Only me, me, me. What I want. And I believe that's what gets us in trouble right now in our society. So we jump to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 16. There's a king at this time named King Saul. He's disobeyed Father God. And God tells the prophet Samuel, he said, man... I need you to go anoint another king for me. And he said, you go to this guy named Jesse the Bethlehemite's house, and he's going to have one of his boys that's going to be the next king. So he shows up there, and the very first son is one named Eliab. Everybody thinks Eliab's the man. But in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, look real close at what this says. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused or rejected him, for the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So right here again, even with loyalty, i got to catch this in my heart. It's not about how smart we are. It's not about physical appearance. It's not how big your muscles are. It's not how, big, how many pull-ups you can do. It's not if you can bench press 250 10 times. God's looking for a specific heart. So Samuel goes from son to son to son to son of Jesse's, and he's gone through seven of them. And none of them are it. So we pick up 1 Samuel 16, verse 11. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest. And there he is keeping the sheep. He's a little pipsqueak. There he is, just out there keeping the sheep. It's almost like he's saying, you don't want to interview him. Keep reading. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Now a lot of times when I've read this before, the word ruddy meant he was fair-skinned. Some translations literally say he was red-headed. I believe he was maybe been red-headed with little freckles on his face. But last week in studying this, I found a completely different word for ruddy. It said he was warlike. In other words, he was brave. He was courageous. And when it talked about his eyes were bright, it said his eyes were eyes of kindness. And he was good looking. So I want you to put all this together with this guy named David. He was a warrior, but yet he was kind. He had a heart to love people and to be good to people. And so right here he goes ahead and you see in verse 14 or 13 what takes place. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Now, David here is anointed to be the next king. But Saul legally is still the king. Saul is legally still in charge. And so a lot of times, when we have something that's spoken over us or prophesied over us, we get the thought that means right now. But it wasn't the case here. 
It was years down the line before David would walk in this. Now, after this takes place, check out what begins to shape in verse 14. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player on the harp, and it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well. There's power in worship, guys. There's power in music. That's why when the spirit of heaviness comes on you, man, you begin to praise God. Not because I feel like it, but because I'm going to look to you, Father God. I want to hang out with you today. I want to be in your presence. Verse 17. So Saul said to his servants, Provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in plain, in plain, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Now you know who this is talking about? This is David. And if you go back and look at that, that's a pretty impressive resume. And he's got a lot going for him in life. Verse 19, Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey, loaded with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat, and he sent them by his son David to Saul. So David came to Saul, and he stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. Something began to happen with Saul and David. Verse 23, verse 22, Then Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Please let David stand before me. For he has found favor in my sight. And so it was, whenever the Spirit from God was upon Saul, that David would begin to play the harp with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. So here's what beginning to take place here. Here's this young guy named David, who it's his job to take care of the sheep. In that time span, he kills a lion and he kills a bear. He becomes anointed as the next king. After this, he becomes Saul's armor bearer. Then he goes out and he kills Goliath. His fame is beginning to really rise. Next, he marries Saul's daughter named Michael. But not, not, but not long after that, King Saul becomes jealous of David. And he literally, on multiple occasions tries to kill David, even though they were, he was his armor bearer. Now, here's a thought for you. If you knew someone was going to try to kill you, what do you think you would do? I can probably give you an idea of what every one of us I said, you know what, we better kill him before he kills me. But David doesn't do this. Turn over a couple pages to 1 Samuel 26. 1 Samuel 26. So think about here. Here you have King Saul, and you've got the next anointed King David. David is literally running for his life right now. Verse 1. Now the Ziphites came to Saul at Geba, saying, Is David not hiding in the hill of Hakaliah opposite of Jesmond? So really, they rat him off. 
They betrayed David right here, and they tell King Saul, he's here. Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness. And Saul camped in the hill of Hakali, which opposite of Jesmond, by the road. But David stayed in the wilderness and saw that Saul had come after him in the wilderness. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul had indeed come. So David arose, came to the place where Saul had encamped, and David saw the place where Saul lay, and Abner the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Now Saul lay within the camp with the people encamped all around him. So I've got to tell you what's going on here more and more. This guy named Abner is his general. So Saul and Abner, they bunked down one night. Now remember in verse 2, it said there were 3,000 men with him. So think about this. There's 3,000 men that are circled around Saul. Wouldn't be very easy to get to him. So we pick back up in verse uh, 6. Then David answered and said to Ahimelech, the Hittite, and to Abishal, the son of Zeru, brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishal said, I will go down with you. Now you know what he's saying? Who's going to be courageous? Who's going to be brave? And remember, you find out who your friend is when in adversity. Now this guy named Abishal, he's bad to the bone, okay? He is literally a trained killer. He enjoys killing. That's what he did. He was the one in one setting. He killed 300 men with a spear. So it wasn't hard for him to volunteer. He's like, I'm in. I'm your boy. Verse number 7. So David and Abishal came to the people by night, and there Saul lay sleeping within the camp with a spear stuck in the ground by his head, and Abner and the people lay all around him. Then Abishal said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Do you hear what he said? He said, look, look, God has set your enemy right here in your hand to this day. In other words, kill him before he kills you. And so we put ourselves in this, in this story right here. And you'd probably say, man, we better get him before he wakes up. Let's kill him. Take place what goes on here. Now, therefore, this is Abishal saying, please, Please, pretty please, with sugar all over it, let me strike him at once with the spear, right to the earth, and I will not have to strike him a second time. Now, he wouldn't. This wasn't a joke. I mean, when he talked about killing him, that's what he meant. I'll kill him. I'll kill him like that. Verse 9. But David said to Abishah, Do not destroy him. For who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless. So David right here makes a moral decision to live by God's word and God's truth. And you know what he's saying? I will not murder him. So we jump back to what I said earlier. Loyalty is always guided by truth. And David I won't kill him. Number one, that's murder. But number two, he's the Lord's anointed. He's God's boy. And so really, you know what David was saying here? I'm either going to rely on what man says, or I'm going to rely on what God does. Verse 10. David said, furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him. Or his day shall come to die, or he shall go out to the battle and perish. 
The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But please take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head and let us go. So first of all, he says to to Abishaw, please take the spear and the jug and let's get out of here. But look what happens in the very next verse, verse 12. So David took the spear and the jug. You know what I believe happened here? David realizes if Abishaw goes to take the spear and the jug, the temptation for Abishaw is too strong. He knew what Abishaw would do. Remember, Saul's laying there and so he was afraid. If Abishaw gets a hold of that spear, he's going to kill him. And so David says, scratch that, forget that. I'll take it. Keep reading. So David took the spear and the jug of water by Saul's head, and they got away, and no man saw or knew it or woke. For they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on him. Now David went over to the other side and stood on the top of the hill afar off, a great distance being between them. And David called out to the people and to Abner, the general, the son of Ner, saying, Do you not answer, Abner? Then Abner answered and said, Who are you calling out to, the king? So David said to Abner, Are you not a man and who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not guarded your lord the king? For one of the people came in to destroy your lord the king. This thing you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not guarded your master the Lord's anointed. And now we see where the king's spear is and the jug of water that was by his head. So you know what he does? He berates Abner. He said, dude, you're sleeping on the clock. You're hired to protect him. Keep going. Verse 17. Then Saul knew David's voice and said, Is that your voice, my son David? And David said, listen, it is my voice, my Lord and my King. He said, why does my Lord thus pursue his servant for what I have done or what is evil is in my hand? Now, therefore, please let the Lord, the King, hear the words of his servant If the Lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if he is his children of men, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. So now do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea or a single person as one hunts elusive partridge in the mountains. Then Saul said, I have a sin. Return, my son David, For I will harm you no more, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. Now, this is the last dialogue that David and Saul would ever have together. This was it. Now, I'm going to skip verse 22. Jump with me to verse 23. My Lord, repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. I want you to understand what he just said. My Lord, repay, how many? Every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. Listen what the New Living says for that verse right there. The Lord gives his own reward for doing good and being loyal. The Lord does his own for those who do good and are loyal. And so what he's saying right there is once again, God sees what every one of us are doing. And God saw the loyalty of David's heart. Number one, he was loyal to God. But number two, he was loyal to this man named King Saul. And if you study this out, 
few, few verses later, Saul ultimately dies in battle. And it grieved David. It broke David's heart. He mourned when Saul died. And when I read this, I thought, you're talking about being a friend. This was a guy who said, till death do me part, literally. Now turn back just a couple pages to 1 Samuel 13. 1 Samuel 13. And we're going to tie some of this together here for you, where you begin to see that loyalty and friends are a big deal to God. If it's a big deal to God, it ought to be a big deal to us. Verse 14. 1 Samuel 13, 14. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. This was before the Lord ever chose David. And he said, the Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. Well, what's the heart of God? Well, we jump back to 2 Chronicles 16.9. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro across the earth, looking to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. So when I read this right here and I see the Lord is wanting one or sought for himself a man after his own heart, when his eyes were going to and fro across the earth, Something happened where his eyes locked into King David. And there must have been some loyalty in King David's heart. And I believe not only was David loyal to King Saul, I believe David was loyal to his father. He was loyal to his brothers. He was loyal when he was keeping sheep. And God began to notice a certain type of heart. And so I go back and I look at David. He was loyal to God. But he was also loyal to Saul. I begin to see a pattern throughout the Bible of great men and women in the Bible and almost every instant you'll begin to see how they were loyal to God but they were loyal to another human being. The woman named Ruth. Ruth was born a Moabite, And Ruth married one of Naomi's sons. Remember that her husband died. And ultimately, Naomi said, I'm going to move back to Bethlehem. This is Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And Ruth said this to her mother-in-law. She said, don't urge me to leave you. Where you go, I'll go. And your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And nothing will ever separate me and you but death. Now, what does that have written all over it? Loyalty. She's saying... I'm with you till death do you part. And remember, a friend is found in a day of adversity. They were walking in tremendous adversity. But not only was she loyal to, to her mother-in-law, Naomi, God took notice. How did God take notice? She marries a man named Boaz. And Boaz has a son named Obed. And Obed has a son named Jesse. And Jesse has a son named King David. And so what I begin to see, when this woman was loyal not only to God, but to another human being, something began to happen. And then I take you to the patriarch, a man named Abraham. And in Genesis 12, the Lord said to him, I want you to leave this country. 
And so Abraham not only obeyed God and was loyal to God and did what God asked, but Abraham took his nephew, his brother's son named Lot. In Genesis 13, it says that Abraham began to prosper. He prospered huge, so much that he began to give Lot stuff. And they became so blessed that Abraham said to Lot, we're going to have to divide everything up. And he gave Lot first choice of the land. So you know what Lot does? He takes the best land where all the water was. And because Abraham had such a loyal heart, he let him do it. Not long after that, the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah came. And they stole all the possessions of Lot, and they took Lot as a prisoner. Guess who went after Lot? Abraham. Him and 313 men. And not only did they bring back all of Lot's possessions, they brought Lot back. And you know what I begin to see there? A man that was loyal to another man. If you go to Genesis, uh, I believe it's 17 or 18, God is fixing to destroy the city of Sodom. And he said, before I ever destroy it, I've got to ask my servant Abraham. And God wouldn't destroy it until he had conversed with Abraham. In James 2.23, the only man in the Bible that you can find that it said he was a friend of God, Abraham. Now I look at that and I think, how did he get that title of friend of God? Because he was loyal to God and he was loyal to people. So I go back and I ask you this question today. Would God say you're loyal to him? Would people say you're loyal? Because we can look through the Bible and we can look even at 2 Chronicles 16.9. Loyalty is a big deal to God. Loyalty may not be a big deal in our society right now, but it's a big deal to God. If it's a big deal to God, it better become a big deal to us. Thank you for listening to the podcast. For more information, visit faithchurchlubbock.com.